Well, and if, if you think about platform consolidation, maybe you think about platform consolidation in terms of the abstraction there. So you can still keep the trust accounting platform and the, and the agency platform intact and use the managed accounts program, unified technology as a means of spanning those. And, and that is hard again, but it does provide the potential to reach the holy grail of the unified managed household. What is platform consolidation and why is it so difficult for many enterprise wealth management firms to achieve it? Is it just due to standard problems with executing large scale projects? Or is it inherent to the core technology platforms that broker dealers rely on? I spoke with Anton Honekman, CEO of MyVest, about his experiences with platform consolidation, the challenges and headwinds that our industry is facing, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. is our 17th year in business at Ezra Group, and we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors, enterprise wealth management firms, asset management firms, and PE firms to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions. If you are the CEO, CTO, COO, or other fintech executive with a software product that you're selling to broker-dealers, RIAs, asset managers, or others, run Don't Walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and click the button to schedule a discovery session. Our wealth tech researchers can deliver a wide range of market insights for your firm, including competitive analysis, product strategy, market estimates, sales targeting, insights on buying decisions, and more. Every vendor needs this data to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. All right, a couple of quick housekeeping tasks before I forget. A quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation go to investinothers.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. This is our first episode for our topic for the month of January, which is platform consolidation. We're going to be talking to some vendors who deal with this uh, a lot when uh, they're replacing other vendors or or, uh, collapsing other systems down into into one, as well as a broker-dealer or two uh, to hear about their experiences with the same thing. So we're going to see both from both sides. We're going to hear from both sides, the vendor and the client side. Uh, this was a great conversation with uh, Anton Honekman. Some of the things we covered include his definition of platform consolidation, things that are and aren't, uh, some of the challenges and headwinds that he's seeing in the industry, things like change management, what are the catalysts, how legacy platforms don't support new business models, and some of the characteristics of target platforms that you should be looking for when you're trying to collapse multiple programs, multiple platforms into one. So let's get started with this episode. I'm very excited to introduce our next guest on the program is Anton Honekman, CEO of MyVest. Anton, welcome. Thanks, Craig. Good to be here. Always enjoy talking about our industry with you. It's always fun. We should record all of our conversations. <laughs> it'll, it'll I'm not sure about all of them. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. The, um, so where are you calling in? I am calling in from my home office in San Francisco. 
That's a beautiful place. I'm calling in. I'm, my, my home office is in New Jersey, but I'm actually at the Market Council Conference in Miami Beach. So actually got some nice weather in November. I think I'd rather be there, but you know, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> you can't go. All of them. No. Cool. So um, let's just jump right in. Can you give us the 30 second elevator pitch for my best? Sure. MyVest is an enterprise wealth management technology vendor. And what we offer is a unified platform for managed investment solutions to medium to large financial enterprises. And you know, that can range all the way from sophisticated, complex records, PM or bank trust type solutions all the way to retail ETF rep programs offered through digital channels and everything in between. We, yeah, wrap sure. that, we wrap that with services, operational services and professional services as well. I'm trying to remember how long we've known each other because I've been following your company for a long time and it's been a while. I mean, you guys have been, been in the industry a long time. You've got a good track record, Yeah, and, which is why we wanted to, uh, to, to bring you on for um, this topic, which is platform consolidation. And you know, we work with a lot with, with our broker dealer clients, but I wanted to hear from the vendor's point of view. So from your opinion, how would you define platform consolidation? Well, I would start by saying what it's not. <laughs> uh, and what I, I mean by that is, I don't think platform consolidation is an inexorable path towards a utopian ideal of a single platform that does everything. You know, platform consolidation, we'll talk about what it is in a minute, does still leaves scope for specialists in particular fields to integrate with a core platform. Uh, even in the RIA space where, you know, the, the, the firm generally does not have a technology team or a large technology team or large technology budget, there's the service providers offer more off the shelf, all in one type solutions to that marketplace. You know, you think of the Orions and the Investnets of the world, but even them, uh, they have partnerships with financial planning providers or, you know, um, Case or iCapital for alternatives or FIDEX for insurance and annuities or YieldX now, the Investnet partnership with YieldX for fixed income portfolio construction. And an exciting new vendor is OnRamp, which provides access to crypto for high net worth portfolios. So this is still, it's not mutually exclusive. You can have platform consolidation and you can have integrations with specialists coexisting. At, at the larger financial institutions, they typically have their own technology budgets and their own technology teams and they weave together best of breed solutions through API style integration. So in all of these circumstances, platform consolidation does not mean one platform to do everything. Instead, what it does mean, I think in, in the context of this question for our industry is a unified chassis for managed investment solutions. Sort of a, 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 a single platform from which managed accounts can be operated irrespective of the managed account program at these firms. 
That's a good definition. That's pretty pretty comprehensive. And again, you can still layer in financial planning solutions and access to alternative products and custom reporting solutions and and other specialist um, third-party vendors into the mix. But the core operating platform for managed investment solutions gets consolidated. Yeah, we uh, you were mentioning a bunch of specialist firms, yeah. and we've had uh, Case. Uh, I had the CEO of Case, Matt Brown, on the program talking about their platform and how a lot of the biggest broker dealers are using it. So they've got to integrate it, as you yeah. mentioned, weaving together APIs to, to plug these marketplaces and, and tools into their existing infrastructure. Exactly. And I think it's important for all of us to recognize that, of course, a financial advisor has a broader responsibility than investments. So estate planning, for example, is another area where there are firms like Vanilla and that are, have emerged as specialist offerings that can be integrated into a broker-dealer or an advisor's platform. So there's when no you're such looking, thing all in one. Sorry, go ahead. When you're working with uh, larger firms, you mentioned that they're, they're weaving together solutions with APIs. Are they successful or is it just window dressing? It's really a big mess behind the scenes. Both. <laughs> I know that's a bit of a cop-out as an answer. I, I absolutely think there are elements of success and, and evidence of success. Um, and, and yet it's hard. And so there is um, successful integrations that have not yielded high degrees of adoption. Uh, you see plenty of that. Uh, you also see when, when firms consolidate, you see resistance from advisors that came from consolidated firms who do not wish to migrate to target platforms um, at their acquiring parent. Sure. So, so, so absolutely, there are technology challenges, there are change management challenges, there's legacy challenges, um, but nevertheless, you know, and Cerulli did a survey recently, Platform consolidation, however you define it, is high on the list of priorities. Uh, it's just hard. It takes time, but it's it's happening. Yeah, it's it's an endless cycle because there's this consolidation, then there's diversion, and they, they they start bringing in other apps, other tools start coming in, and the their one monolith system gets split off. So you, you talk about what how you define platform consolidation. Did you talk about what isn't platform consolidation? Do you have a separate answer for that or? What, what it isn't? Yeah, yeah what, isn't. what isn't platform consolidation is um, certainly, as I mentioned, this integration with specialist solutions, that, that doesn't negate the definition of platform consolidation. I think when you asked me to, to today to talk about platform consolidation, I was thinking more about consolidating managed investment solution platform. Yes, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, and that ranges from, you have the spectrum from prop gen through to model management, through to portfolio management and rebalancing tax optimization, personalization of portfolios to order management uh, and sending up to trading. Then you have all this dimension of, of reporting and analytics. At the, at the kernel of all of that, is the model management rebalancing and trading. And traditionally, those have been in separate silos for separate managed account programs. And I think there is an opportunity 
to consolidate those so that you can remove redundancy and hopefully move along the path towards householding uh, the UMH, being able to address clients' needs holistically. We spoke to a regional broker dealer recently that has a trust offering and a brokerage offering. And they have a number of clients who are who have both a trust solution and a brokerage solution from the same broker dealer, but it felt as if they were completely distinct customer relationships. So not only is the, is the investor getting an inferior experience and engagement with the firm, but you could argue that the advice is also inferior if it's not holistic by nature. Absolutely. So one, and, and, yeah. and usually because as to the trust platform, is it on a different accounting platform? So the trust accounting platform, the brokerage is on the agency platform and they exactly. and never the two shall meet. Well, and then if, if you think about platform consolidation, maybe you think about platform consolidation in terms of the abstraction layer. So you can still keep the trust accounting platform and the, and the agency platform intact and use the managed accounts program, unified technology as a means of spanning those. And, and that is hard again, but it does provide the potential to reach the holy grail of the unified managed household. That's where we're all going, to the holy grail, <laughs> unified chassis for everything. So, so speaking of that, what do you see as the challenges and headwinds towards reaching the holy grail? So there's many. I alluded to some of them, but, I, you know, first of all, it, there's just the execution risk challenge. There's a lot of wiring and rewiring, um, complexity, legacy defeasement, onboarding of new tools, um, and just that's hard. So there's execution risk. More fundamentally than that though, is I think there's a sort of almost an existential misalignment of horizons and incentives in that these projects can take multiple years to reach that holy grail. And the horizons and the evaluation periods of most of the executives involved are much shorter than that. So to mitigate that or to address that, you have hopefully a team that breaks up the, the larger goal into smaller uh, addressable milestones and achieves them over time. But you, know, you often find, and Cerulli wrote about this too, you often find that competing priorities come, come up along the way, which can sort of divert the attention away from the longer term goal. The other big, big, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to ask about the project timeline. So you said that the project timeline is, is often longer than the executive's career at the firm. So they, or their evaluation, to... their evaluation periods. Right. So the, and we see that a lot as well, that people will leave halfway. You know, they, they'll sign off on a project and it's a multi-year project and they leave in the middle. And then, there's, right. and then the people are left with it. They don't even know why they bought the system. And that's a recipe for disaster. That's right. And they're not necessarily bought in. They, they promote alternative priorities, budgets get diverted, and so the path is fraught. So, you know, I would always recommend that firms consider this in stages. You don't do a big bang, for example. You set up the target platform before you switch off the legacy platform. Uh, you burn it in. You, 
you build internal proponents so that they can support adoption internally. Because that, that, that sort of is a segue to another challenge, another headwind with this, which is the change management challenges. There's um, training, there's buy-in, there's adoption, there's uh, vested interests sometimes in legacy platforms, all of which have to be overcome. And you know, I, I don't take that lightly. It, it's it's this is not always evaluated on a, a simply by objective criteria. And I, I always like to say inertia is a very powerful force in our industry when it comes to legacy platforms. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, it absolutely is. So then we got to think about what are the drivers? What are the sort of catalytic conditions which would which would initiate this change towards a new platform that they could consolidate the firm around? I think you've seen at some of the large enterprise RIAs uh, that want to establish a firm view. I think there are Carson, United Capital, now Goldman, Wealth Enhancement Group, where they've said there is a way of doing business the Carson way or the Wealth Enhancement Group way or the United Capital way. So there's a single platform that's going to manifest that. And advisors who join those firms are self-selecting in to that program. And establishing that firm view is the catalyst for that change. Uh, another catalyst for that change could be if the legacy platforms are not supporting more modern business models that the firm wishes to engage in. Uh, and there I think of, do they support tax optimization and personalization, which as you know, are you know, mega trends that we're um, experiencing now, or, do they want to move to a householding type framework which would involve multi-account portfolios, potentially a multi-custodial setting? If their legacy platforms are single custodian or don't support personalization and tax optimization, may not be supportive of their future business models. So that would be a catalyst for change. But you know, you've still got to overcome all of that inertia and you need a forward-thinking executives who can sell this concept internally. Are you seeing problems with going back to the uh, project timelines and executives, also the ROI that executives, you know, we've, we've gone into firms and suggested platform consolidation and showed them the price tag and they just say no, because there's, there's no revenue generation directly from that. It's just cost reduction, improvements in operation, improvement in client experience, but they don't have a direct increase in revenue. There should be an increase in revenue overall over the long term because your, your company's running better, people have more time to do things, right? But they don't see the direct ROI. They usually say, oh, we're not spending that money. I'll just keep throwing bodies at it. How do you get over that? Well, I think you partially get over that by demonstrating the avoidance of the downside. So if you don't do this platform consolidation, are you risking attrition of clients or advisors? And are you risking obsolescence in terms of your business model? And if you can quantify some sort of expectation of, reduction of their business in the absence of this new platform consolidation, that might help with the ROI story. Uh, but you're right, I think it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, you know, typically the ROI story is, is always helped. With, you can talk about an enhancement of advisor capacity. And so- That's a good one. Yeah, but that's not necessarily, you don't get that automatically with platform consolidation. So that, that always comes down to, um, what are the characteristics of the target platform 
that you would be consolidating on. And I think, think something that can do more to enhance advisor capacity has a greater chance of overcoming inertia, overcoming the ROI hurdles, and even potentially some of the change management concerns about advisors who don't want to move. It helps to at least tell them a story that they have an opportunity to grow their book. Yeah, and, and again, it's you talking about change management. There's a lot involved with just understanding the process. A lot of firms don't even understand all the integrations they've set up with their legacy system until they start trying to change it. Then they find out, oh, it's plugged into this and it's plugged into that. And there's this downstream system using data, that downstream just using data. And then they wind up having to change the proposal or do all, all these statements of work, you know, change orders. We forgot, we didn't realize this. They signed a contract with a new vendor and oh, yeah, we need all these other things, which winds up delaying these projects for years sometimes. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of spaghetti in the background when the, the initial sponsor of the project may not have even been aware of it. Um, and so, absolutely. Again, that reinforces how long some of these projects take and also the need for professional services to really do discovery, uh, map their, not just map their target state platform, but map their current state so that you can you know, chart a course. Yeah, we call that target operating model. You need to know your current state and yeah. then your future state and then what the execution plan is to get there. Exactly. That's, what, that's what we do with a lot of broker dealers. But you did mention execution risk yeah. as the first challenge. Can you, can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, it speaks to what you've been talking about now, which is, first of all, the current state is often more complex with their legacy and their in existing integrations than the people involved are generally aware of. Number one. Number two, this is complex stuff. There's, it's not just software, but it's data and it's live data flowing through a system. It's data that needs to be accurate <laughs> to the penny. <laughs> you know, so we're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about um, regression testing. We're talking about switching on all sorts of integrations back to custodians through model management through order management uh, out to the street and then back into the platform there's a number of different opportunities for error and if you you're replacing a whole lot of systems with a whole lot of new systems each one of those needs to be designed in advance implemented tested and you know, and you're dealing not with a single vendor, even though as we are talking about, it's platform consolidation. Hopefully you're dealing with fewer vendors. Um, right, that, that should be by definition, yeah. you're dealing right. with fewer vendors, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's not just a different project. That's right. We're not just replatforming. We're, we're hopefully removing redundancy. And hopefully actually there's, there's a real point that we haven't touched on here, which is these medium to large financial institutions have strategic sourcing groups, vendor management groups, and, um, and then various forms of vendor cyber review and compliance review. And, and those are potentially made far more complex or the complexity is amplified by uh, sort of a plethora of vendors. If you can reduce the number of vendors, it streamlines their processes, reduces costs, and reduces risk to the firm too. So that's another reason to do it. It's not just there's a target operating model that might future-proof your business through householding and multi-custodial nature, but there's also the opportunity to re reduce costs, 
reduce complexity, and reduce risk. And that covers not only execution risk, but operational risk That's right. and compliance risk. That's right. Or regulatory risk. That's right. So I think it's a worthwhile objective. It's just, it's fraught with all these challenges that we've mentioned, like inertia, execution risk, change management risk, and the mismatch of horizons, which I think is the fundamental under, underpinning mm. of, of the challenge. Right. So, so let's go on to your third area, which is uh, talking about the target platform. So what are some of the characteristics of a, of a target platform that you can consolidate onto? Well, if we're talking about consolidating in the managed investment solution space, I think the target platform at its core should be multi-custodial. You know, we see this everywhere where particularly medium to large institutions have multiple custodians. They have different programs that are siloed. If you want to have a, a chance of, of spanning the silos, offering householding, you, you want to be able to have um, multiple custodians feeding into it. Uh, other elements, sort of target characteristics should be what we call at MyVest, what we call shared discretion. So this is back to the managed investments programs themselves. Traditionally, you've seen things like a mutual fund wrap program or UMA program, or even a REPAS PM program as having kind of well-defined boundary conditions. And I, I think what we're seeing now is that those boundary conditions are starting to dissipate, that you're seeing more, for example, a REPAS PM program starting to use models. And, um, and sometimes those models look like a UMA model structure, but they're implemented over multiple accounts. And so what does that mean? A UMA by definition is a single custodial account. <laughs> but if, if you can have a UMA model structure implemented over multiple tax registrations with asset location, is that a UMA anymore? So I, I think what you're seeing is, the, sorry, go ahead. Would that be That's a UMH? That would be UMH. And basically what I'm, my contention is all of these programs are actually um, on a common spectrum where what you're varying is the level of advisor discretion along the spectrum. And the target platform for, for platform consolidation should be something that not only is multi-custodial, but allows the configuration of discretion for different programs or different groups of advisors. And so you can have this balance between home office control and oversight and delivery of home office IP through their own asset allocations, for example, but you have advisor level discretion that's configurable depending on the type of advisor, the type of program, et cetera. We've seen a couple of years ago, for example, that LPL launched the advisor sleeve been a very successful program for them. I see that as an example of shared discretion, sort of where you have centralized investment strategies where a portion of it can actually be managed by the advisor themselves. And it's a very interesting pro uh, program. We helped them with part of that implementation. It's, it's incredibly complicated, but it's done really well. It was because it's a combination of a vendor they brought in and also their own tools they built in the front end to improve, to build and make, make the LPL version of a client experience. 
yeah, of course, client experience at a large firm like LPL is 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 built by them in the front end. Um, but the you're right, it's a complex set of parameters that have to be combined to offer an advisor sleeve in inside of a home office delivered investment strategy. But that's where the future of managed investment solutions is headed. As I said earlier on, I think it's all about configuring discretion between the home office and the advisor and having the knobs and dials to alter that. I think if, if, if you're thinking about future-proofing your business and consolidating platforms, having a single platform that can support multiple custodians simultaneously and multiple different managed account programs through configuration of discretion, that is the future state, the target state that is worth consolidating on. Would you say that the target platform should also have a number of preset integrations with all the top vendors and other categories? Ideally, I, I think at a minimum, it should be API, have a robust API interface so that it can support multiple integrations over time. Sure, some pre-integrations would be great. Um, you know, the, the vendor landscape is changing. We spoke earlier on on this podcast about newer vendors like OnRamp and YieldX. And so it's more important to look at the API infrastructure in my mind as enabling integrations um, in a modern, scalable and low cost way rather than the library of pre-existing integrations. Certainly in the RIA right. space, in the RIA space, pre-existing integrations are obviously more important because of the general absence of large technology teams. But in the medium to large um, broker dealers and banks and large enterprise RIAs, it's really the API infrastructure. Yeah, that's what we're when we talk Since to we firms, are, we're we're yeah. talking about that 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 there's a big difference between pre-built integrations that are static and open, robust, well-documented, and supported APIs. Exactly, exactly. And so the technology matters. Another element of the technology matters is sort of um, the cloud support. I think our industry is getting over the security or cyber concerns about cloud deployment. Now, ideally there would be cloud native solutions, but we all know that most sort of mature managed investment solution technology is not necessarily cloud native, but you want something that plays well in the cloud so that it can scale more elastically with your business as it grows. So, so in summary, I think those are the sort of the four key characteristics in my mind of the target platform for managed account technology platform consolidation, multi-custodial, the ability to configure discretion and share discretion between the home office and the advisor, robust API infrastructure, and um, cloud compatibility. And those are all good. That's a good list. What about, um, can you talk about a specific scenario where a firm you know had to do consolidation and some of the issues that they ran into? Yeah, uh, so we uh, have deployed a multi-custodial solution at our parent company, TIA, in their wealth <laughs> management division. Uh, they uh, launched a brand new 
UMA program in 2009 on our platform and grew that. It was a very, very successful program per the Cerulean rankings. It grew, grew very, very well and we refined it with them. Uh, after demonstrating that success, uh, they made the decision to, to consolidate their bank trust solution, their high net worth PM style bank trust solution onto a common platform, which was us. And so that meant um, adding features to our platform and then defeasing their legacy uh, solutions that they had and migrating those accounts over to this new platform. Those were two different custodians. Their brokerage platform and their bank trust were on leading well-known custodians in, that, in each of those respective spaces. And so they needed a multi-custodial platform to consolidate on. So not only did we support both custodians, but we're doing it on a single instance and we're just configuring their bank trust workflow differently from how we're configuring their UMA workflow. The one is far more decentralized portfolio manager centric and then the UMA is far more of a centralized home office solution. Fast forward a few years, they launched a robo solution on the same stack. The user experience is all delivered through their own homegrown investor experience UI, but pulling data and instructions from our system through our APIs. So they've got three completely different programs on different custodians on a common stack configured differently. That's pretty good. That's impressive. Now, that took them multiple years to consolidate that though. That did, that did. And they have had executives who have been there throughout that whole journey. And I think that's to our earlier discussion being a right. uh, key element of the success there. Consistency. Also, consistency, exactly. They also adequately capitalized the projects. They've also mitigated risk by not doing a big bang, by um, even when the target platform was ready, they took about six months to migrate groups of advisors over to the new platform. This is the, when the bank trust consolidated after it was ready. So they built early success. They built internal proponents who trained others and in so doing, built demand, built adoption, and built a self-fulfilling cycle. So you mentioned something that you forgot when you were talking about challenges and headwinds. You forgot that they need to have the proper program capitalization. Without that, that's a, it becomes a headwind. Oh, for sure, for sure. You're, you're either sque squeezing your internal project management infrastructure or, or the vendor or the vendors um, and it's just not a recipe for success. Yeah, budget issues always wind up screwing things over. When the, the firm doesn't budget enough, where they were told one price and it winds up being double or triple um, because either the requirements were wrong or they just didn't ask yeah. the right questions. They didn't know, didn't know what to ask and they, they discovered things later. Or the vendor you know, just didn't do a good job specking it out. Then that's another headwind platform consolidation. So is there a, do you see- right. um, And I know, that's, I know this is not meant to be 
I know this is not meant to be an advertorial, but I know that's, that's why they need firms like yours to help them navigate that, help them design that target state. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm always open to advertise my own firm on my podcast. But yes, <laughs> always available for that. So um, we're getting close to the end of the time here. So um, I just want to ask one more question. How, how is it with you know, TIA being your biggest client and a parent company? How do you manage that, you know, walk that tightrope? Well, we've, it's, the acquisition was five years ago now. And we have learned and evolved over that period. I think the key success factor to that navigation has been maintaining MyVest as an autonomous subsidiary. So we have our own brand, we have our own third party customers and our employees are MyVest employees, employees of a technology company, not a financial institution. That has established sort of a culture of autonomy, which helps implicitly people understand that this is, um, we're a vendor to TIA as, as well as a subsidiary. Then beyond that, we have different people. The people to which we report as a subsidiary are different from the customer. They have um, right. taken great pains to separate those uh, so that there are no internal conflicts. And I think that works well. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. That you yeah, don't want the same people who are your boss actually and your right. client. Yeah, that's right. a bit of a conflict. Yeah. And that, and then uh, to their to TIA's credit, that's how it's been from the beginning. And uh, sometimes when I'm on a call with TIA, I have to remind myself: Am I talking to my parent company or my customer? But generally, it's 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 operating very well. I think it's one of the rare examples, and there are others, but it's one of the rare examples of an autonomous tech subsidiary of a financial institution continuing to operate autonomously five years after the acquisition. Um, so we're doing something right. And we are um, growing our third-party business outside of TIA. They're still a very large, important customer to us. Um, but they recognize, TIA recognizes the value that third-party customers brings to MyVest and in so doing to them. It brings a vibrancy. It brings a flow of innovation. Uh, it helps us attract and retain talent. Uh, and that's what we've been doing since the acquisition. And I'm so happy you uh, came on the program and, and shared all this. It's uh, we covered every, we covered everything we wanted to cover and, and and more. So do the little plug at the end here. Give us a where can people find out more about MyVest and the, and the, your product suite and services? Uh, go to MyVest.com or contact me directly. Many people who listen to this podcast know me as well, and uh, love to chat more about MyVest to anyone. Fantastic. And uh, thanks so much for being up on the program. I really, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Craig. You too. I always enjoy it. And uh, go back to the conference. Back to the conference. All right. See ya. Hey, it's Craig again. Some of the takeaways that I got from this episode. I really liked how uh, open Anton was to talk about a TIA, TIAA's journey towards consolidating their robo-advisor, their bank trust, and their UMA platforms and uh, how long it took and some of the issues they went through. How we talked about the future of discretionary portfolio management, some of the key ingredients around future proofing, and the characteristics of a target platform, what uh, broker-dealers should be looking for when it comes to selecting the platform that they are going to consolidate all the other ones onto. So that's the end of this episode. 
please remember to go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll get an email full of wealth management, goodness, news, information, analysis, and links. You will not be disappointed. We'll talk to everyone again next time.